0: going Corey. yeah we got a we got a big show today we are i mean we're we're in to think of it i was telling um somebody today uh, i was explaining the, the situation to one of my venezuelan teachers and i mm. said that i haven't felt this much anticipation for something almost ever like even compared to when i was a kid and it was christmas like three weeks before christmas i feel more anticipation right now three weeks before our election right <laughs> like yeah. i'm just like i can't take it
1: no, I know. And we're all just sort of like in the pressure cooker right now. And it's just sort of like, hurry up and wait, you know. Um, yes. And this is, you know, I think everyone kind of has a sense that this is going to be a, a pretty chaotic election season. I mean, depending on, you know, what it actually looks like on election night. I mean, this could turn into an extended bloodbath, um, you know, sort of a cold and maybe warming civil war even is what a lot of people are, are sort of concerned about. And I think that is one of the reasons that um, we really wanted to do this show yeah. today. And yeah. I love the title that we chose for this show, Ryan. Inhabit yeah, your too. democracy. Yes. It's such a good title because you know, for me, Ryan, what that what that does is it reminds you know. I think we so often relate to politics, governance, etc., as being you know, it's completely sort of separate from us. It's those bodies, yeah. people over there who are making decisions that are coming crashing down on top of our heads. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a sort of a vein of cynicism that, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly our generation and generations, uh, you know, younger than us have just kind of grown up with and acclimated themselves to. And I think that within that cynicism comes a certain kind of paralysis and comes a certain kind of othering of all of these institutions, all of these democratic processes, et cetera. And what I love mm-hmm. about this title, Inhabit Your Democracy, is that it's a reminder that you are not subject to your government as much mm-hmm. as you are intersubjectively and interobjectively linked with your government. In other yeah. words, this government is an expression of our voice. Uh-huh. And sort of one of my you know, kind of uh, principles that I'm walking into this conversation with is I think we have this common perception that government corruption creates cynicism. And it does. We saw that after Vietnam War. Ken's talked about this. We saw this after uh, Nixon and Watergate. There was a plummeting of confidence in our government and within that sort of vacuum, cynicism grew. But I think Mm -hmm. the opposite is sort of even more true that mm-hmm. that it's not so much that corruption creates cynicism it's that cynicism actually creates a space for corruption because when we have succumbed to cynicism we mm-hmm. have paralyzed our civic responsibilities and our capacity to to show up in this democracy
0: mm-hmm. and to
1: pull that lever in a skillful way right mm-hmm. my you know i remain convinced that america in particular would not have nearly as many corruption issues as we do and we very much do if we mm-hmm. simply had higher turnout at the polls and i can see yeah. the catch-22 there is that people don't want to turn out in the polls because they think the game is rigged but guess what yeah. the game is rigged because you're not turning out at the polls
0: mm-hmm.
1: so i think that's what we want to do today is convince people i don't care yeah. what you're for. i mean <clears throat> maybe i do a little bit personally but ultimately i don't care what you're voting for just show up
0: yeah i mean i I, both for me, like I very much care the, that the the support and encouragement of all U.S. citizens to to vote, um, and this is like how how we create our 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 circumstances politically. And I really do care who you vote for. And I'm like, I, I'm like vocal about that because I'd say the reason why I'm passionate about all those things and the support of it. And really like when we talk about, uh, for example, voter suppression and we've seen things like in Texas, trying to limit drop-off boxes to one per County, which it seems very explicitly to try to make it harder for some of the more uh, uh, democratic yeah, counties, urban, especially in, urban, urban, urban that are, that are largely um, Latino and um and black, you know, it, it's like pretty obvious. But the thing is, is like supporting all people voting, even if you're gonna vote for somebody who I don't want you to vote for, I think is really important because that's it's, that's what we've been about in our country, supposedly, okay? Right. We, we had an ideal that like, hey, we're gonna have this neutrality of supporting democracy because it's really important. And then it's like, quote, fair game. Everybody shows up and we just see what the country wants. And then we yeah. deal with that. But that hasn't been the case more and more every, over every year, that's not the case in a certain way, like the, that who's leading our country does, is not representative of, of, the, of the interiors, the collective and individual interiors of the country, you know, the, the majority. So anyways, I do support that, uh, like get out and vote and let's make that fair no matter what county it is, no matter what state it is, I want everybody to have the equal opportunity to vote and I wanna get people out to vote because I do feel confident of what the majority of Americans want. I do. I'm like, if we get out there, we're going to have the results that I'm really looking for right now. But regardless of all that, I feel very different about this than like, say 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And obviously I'm older, so hopefully less naive (laughs) than Mm -hmm. than I used to be. But it feels so important. This is beyond what we, like you were talking about politics. It's this thing, politics, we talk about it, we don't talk about it, whatever. It's like, this is life. Yeah. We are more dealing with life and death issues here, you know, and it's just way too important, way too serious. I'm looking for, I am i don't even know what it's going to feel like if, for example, for me, I want Trump out of office. I want Biden in there. But after that, let's say Biden is office, the Democrat state Senate, that's all democratic party. After that, it's going to be like a little bit of a weird shock period for me to get used to being like it not being how it is now where I'm like, what kind of conversations can I have now? Like, it, right. what's the tone of the conversation? Like, it's going to be disorienting a little bit, actually, because right now it's just like, I don't even feel like I'm talking about politics. I feel like, like as we know in the past, I feel like I'm talking about, dude, the, the house is burning, man. It's yeah. burning down. And we, I just want that to stop, you know? So yeah. that way we can, we can then have a more mature conversation and we can have nuanced debates and be like, well, I kind of think this strategy, you kind of think this strategy, I don't know. But right now it's just like, there's not a lot of room for nuance for me right now right. In, in so many ways, even though we're going to have to investigate how that fire happened, Right. we have to have more nuanced conversations to not repeat it and to have where we want to go in the future. So I know for me, like most, I'm looking for a neutralizing effect. Yep. You know. So that's why I'm, I'm passionate about this. Whereas like, who knows, in different years, maybe you and I would feel like, should we do it and have a democracy episode? Should we do it? Should we not do it? Maybe we'll have different opinions, but right now I'm just like this is the only thing that's up for me. Like this month, I'm like, please go vote and go support the equal voting of other people. Okay. Yes. Period. That's 100%. my that's my that's my message right now. Uh, but I know we want to talk about like getting into more of of what does it mean to have your democracy, and you already did a great job of like talking about where we've come from and like kind of how we used to re- we've tended to relate to the topic of politics whether it's cynicism or just freaking out reactivity you know in various forms and the um but yeah i like the phrase inhabit your democracy because i also saw we had some youtube comment it was like not a overly trolley comment but someone was like you all should uh stay away from politics
1: dude i was literally about to read this quote because okay, i figured i mean let's, go let's go read the that, el- i
0: have a response to that yeah yeah, yeah let's, let's
1: bring the elephant into the room so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna read this quote we got on youtube yeah. and i'm also gonna just uh In in Joe Perez's group on Facebook, he asked uh, an interesting question. And I think we can kind of dovetail these things together. Um, Because, you know, before I read this, I just want to say I know very well that, you know, um, not everyone in the integral audience has the same political views. And that's okay. You don't need need to have the same political views. In fact, I think that trying to gauge someone's, say, level of development based on their political views is exactly the wrong way to go. And the reason for that, and this will become relevant in a minute, but the reason for that is we are all surrounded by a billion points of data. And hmm. some of those points of data are better than other points of data. And we don't have any real social way of weighing all these different perspectives and data points and, you know, and so forth. Yeah. So I think what happens is all of, you know, politics is this massive sprawling hyper object And each of us individually has a particular view, a particular slice of that hyper object that's composed of you you have your data points, I have my data points, Trump supporters have their data points. There's what we take seriously, what we don't take seriously. And then we combine all of that into this thing called a political view,
0: which can vary
1: (laughs) greatly from integralist to integralist to integralist because it's based on your cosmic address, your informational terrain uh mm-hmm. you know your background culture and your background value i mean there's so much going into yeah, this that i think you're... that political views is a terrible way to assess development
0: yeah totally and so the before quote, you read that thing i want to let some people know that feel free to make comments okay in the chats and things like that and questions we'll we will integrate and look at those somebody had asked that yeah, but um go absolutely. ahead
1: absolutely no th- yeah thank you for saying that so yeah. the comment we got on youtube was um i think you guys would do well to stay away from politics don't forget." That any statement you make right now is going to alienate half your audience. And holy crap, do I I feel that, man. I mean, there's a needle that's that we're trying to thread here, where we're trying to create a space simultaneously for all views, while also
0: showing you sort of a little bit more of what our views are. Is that fair? Yeah. I, I would say it a little differently, and I've said this a few times in, pol- in our shows, but um And again, I always I try to present like, listen, I'm going to speak directly from my experience Mm -hmm. and I'm going to try to hold myself as lightly as possible. And I constantly question, you know, what don't I know and what do I know now that actually is doesn't turn out to be true and accurate and that I have a big emphasis that we need each other, that I cannot rely on particular my particular conclusions, but we don't hold all views like because for me because we're not going to be entertaining like a QAnon guest right. okay we have discernment that's right so so no it, it's literally not all views we that's different though okay we can say that like listen we we have to take a responsibility of trying to understand where all views are coming from because otherwise we're not gonna be to address it so if we don't like if you look at a medical doctor or psychologist they have to take a really bold raw look like if, if a person is suffering from a disease they can't just be like you know what that disease is really nasty, so I don't want to look at it. They're going to have to be like, actually be really interested in it. Like, how does this function? How does it work? Because that's the only way you can respond to it. So in that sense, I think uh, an integralist uh, would want to be very interested in all views in that kind of really curious way rather than sweeping it away. But I'm not interested in it personally and being like, no, please, like... I'm not validating it. It's, it's, it's not valid. I I invalidate it (laughs) and I'm, I'm owning that on my end. So that's how, if, if, if we want to say it in that way, that's more specific for me about like um, and here's the other thing. I'm not interested in avoiding speaking directly from my personal experience Mm -hmm. um, simply to, to avoid somebody else feeling uncomfortable, but I want to have an environment where other people feel comfortable to express themselves. But the thing is, is like, I'm not going to like neutralize myself and like create like some neutral, bland expression. So that way it doesn't rub up against anybody. So I am going to express myself and I have on this show directly. Like I'm going to say, I I think Trump is horrific for our, uh, for our society. And as a president, it's horrific. I'm going to say that. And uh, I think I have opinions about Biden. I'm like, okay, it's gonna be fine. We can talk about like, is he gonna be a good president, bad president? I'm like, I don't know better than Trump. Anyways, that, like how do we have good conversations? And Diane Hamilton is one of the uh, people in the integral community who has been magnificent as at, at facilitating really difficult conversations. And so I don't consider myself anywhere near a level of being able to facilitate that. But like, I know she's that- She's masterful. Be, she's masterful at having people get into intense conversations. So here- I want to go into the intensity, into the uncomfortableness, into the into the disagreements and try to find our ways in a healthy, supportive way, but it's sometimes gonna be uncomfortable, sometimes it's gonna be messy. But to your point at the beginning of the show, the avoidance of that only exacerbates the issues. It's like we've had such a thing in our country of being like, what do you what don't you talk about at Thanksgiving dinner? politics and religion right like those things you don't talk about it's like but that is detrimental at this point there's it's no longer an option yep so i'm going on record to say that i don't know i'm only speaking for myself so i don't want to put words in your mouth
1: i love that you mentioned both diane and politics and religion because when i was pitching the show that we were doing that we actually just finished up and we're going to be rebooting uh with mark fishler at the end of this month but um when i was originally pitching the show to her the idea i had for the um for the series was uh, not integral justice warrior. It was going to be called "Rude Conversations." That's right. And it was yeah. exactly that in mind. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's talk about the things that are you know you're not allowed to talk about at the dinner table. Um, yeah. So that was that was kind of funny. Oh, no, and funny. I and I appreciate your reframe. I yeah, I would adjust what I said to in yeah. this space. We want to entertain all integrally informed views, and we know yeah. that sometimes those integrally informed views can run against our own integrally informed views. So the point I was trying to make is that yeah. we're going to make we're going to hold that space. Right, we're gonna hold that space for you. I mean, if you feel like you have an integral case for Trump, awesome. You're, yeah. you're welcome to this space. Totally. We will probably disagree with you. Yeah, yeah But like, that's okay. That's the point. Brain- we're having you, an
0: integral conversation. You and I are individuals, and, and yep. we're part of a collective. But yeah, we're gonna have our, our opinions here, and 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 in particular, right now, I do feel passionate about things because I feel like it's more of it's less of a like. A, different like the idea of like in the past a bipartisan like there's an idea that like having two parties with differing sort of angles like typologically will be really healthy it balances each other uh, them out you know right that's a good idea like we're gonna ideally yeah it's Mm -hmm. like one's more conservative one more liberal and together the tensions create something better than they would do individually i love that idea it feels completely broken right now and so um so yeah and that's why I say like upfront, I'd be like, my most important thing is like, everybody has an equal right to vote and everybody go out and vote and first and foremost, and then I'm going to say, make my case on my end because it's so damn important. And so many people's lives are at risk that like, I can't, I, it's, it's unethical for me to adopt a neutral position. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the thing. But yeah, like bring in, if, if you, if you have, if you're passionate, compassionate Passionate, compassionate and and bringing in differing views that sound like off of out of left field but are contributing to the conversation great uh, and i don't, i'm not personally going to set a line of like I, here is the exact line where i will not entertain and that and that's mm-hmm. the objectively the right line there's gonna be great points like between you and me cory like maybe your line is here and maybe mm-hmm. my line is here we're not con- so concerned about the line but just to say that like eventually we have our lines you right. know right. and but i'm not gonna there's no we're, not, we're just a show here so that we're right. not enforcing there's not a po- we're not in charge of policy or anything here we're just having well and a that's the an important <laughs> reminder right is that there's no such thing
1: as a monolithic quote official unquote integral politics i mean this Uh-oh. is inactive right and it all gets back to the what i was saying earlier like there's just too many data points out there for us to come up with like here yep. is how all integralists should be voting yeah. here is sort
0: of the sanctioned integral political yeah and i and that, i'm that glad is- you brought that up i will not I rarely will attach integral in front of my name. Sometimes I I will use it when it's like in a broad sense and being like, here's one version of this. But like, Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to say my political view is an integral political view. I won't put that in front of it, but I will say I feel like it's integrally informed. But like, Mm -hmm. you could come up with a lot of different constellations of a view and solutions and strategies that would be integrally informed that would be very different. Exactly. So, but it's less, it's less concern of me of like, am I integral or not? Because we get so caught up in it. Love like, being yep. like, then it's a dividing line, and like you're not integral, no, I'm not, you know. And then yep. we're like fighting for for really silly reasons.
1: <laughs> now, all that said, in the yeah. show, we are yeah. gonna be trying to walk people through sort of the mechanics of why we believe our own views are maybe a little bit more integral than a lot of the other views that we see out there. And I think that's fine.
0: We have, we have the space yeah, to Yeah, we'll just do that. And we've been focused a lot, I think in the show, so much we come back around to process. Like I'm concerned about like a process that fosters um, uh, safety, creativity, um, uh, creative thinking and strategy making, you know, like that's, what's really important to me. It's like, because then I can trust the process that like, even if my initial idea is complete crap, let's just say. And, but like, if I'm part of a process, like for example, in, in, in holacracy inside of an organization of or business, I can trust the process that out of that, by being a part of it, something better will emerge. Mm. So I'm more concerned about a process, even though right now it's like, I submitted my vote. I had to make a decision and I, my decision was clear. So we have we're all having to make decisions that are very finite right now Right, and that. Dictate something, but as far as like discussing, like, hey, how do we get here? Where do we go from here? Oh my gosh, there's so many nuances here, and yeah. we do talk about that. But more than anything, I care about a process that would foster the best emergence possible, and doing whatever I can to support that. And but knowing that, you know, I'm just one person. You and I are just yep. a couple of people having a conversation. But that that comment for me, I'm like, and into your point earlier about uh, stay out of politics, we, it's impossible. Yep. And another way of saying that would, would be for me and obviously like what you said is like includes so much it's just such a huge term all-encompassing but it'd be like uh don't pay attention to a particular quadrant right like, yeah stay stay out of that whole biology thing guys stay stay out of the lower for usually a lot of times i'll stay out of that lower right quadrant you know right. that's uh, it's like well we can't because that quadrant's in us so yeah, politics are in us we're in politics right. it's it's unavoidable right. so okay. Um, well,
1: so, so a couple things, I mean, you, you threw a lot on the table,
0: right? Sorry, there. I, I know. Wanna, I want to, I want to <laughs> pick <laughs> yeah, up some yeah. of the pieces. And, uh, yeah, and,
1: yeah. and, um, so, you know, the first thing you said, I thought was, uh, really insightful was talking about the ideals of, you know, how these processes are supposed to work uh-huh. even in a two-party system like ours. And we can spend episodes talking about the limitations of a two-party system, how to compensate uh-huh. for that. How, you know what I mean? But yeah. right now, this is the reality as we find it on the ground, we have this two-party system. Yep. and you know ideally again the way this is supposed to work is that we actually have something called a constitution right and that constitution is not this archaic piece of paper you know in like the Smithsonian is that where it is i think that's where it is um that's oh, yeah. it's it's not this dead sort of parchment it's actually what the constitution is is it's i mean it's Pretty amazingly brilliant when you really kind of enact it from this kind of perspective. Mm. It is itself an engine of enfoldment that was designed to reconcile irre- irreconcilable views. And that is exactly the function it has served for the majority of American history. Mm. And then, again, from where I'm sitting, a couple decades ago, that broke down. Why did it break down? You use another critical word trust. Mm. And trust comes from good faith. And Mm. I my perception is that somewhere in, I don't know, the mid to late 90s, I think largely probably under the stewardship of Newt Gingrich, that trust and that sort of record of good faith was broken. Mm. Right. This Mm. was the period when we started seeing, you know, before this period, uh Republican and Democratic congressmen would have lunch together, for example. Then there was basically an unspoken rule you're not allowed to do that anymore and once that once those little rivalries started kind of pulling mm-hmm. people apart and yeah. these echelons yeah. of power that created this partisan divide and this massive political gap yeah. into which all of us have fallen and within which all of these culture wars some silly and yeah. some important yeah. have erupted and i want to talk about those culture yeah. wars in in just a little bit but i want to get back to this issue of trust, because it also connects with something I was talking about earlier, Ryan, which was Mm. cynicism Mm. and actually ran this by you. If you don't mind, I'd love to share sort of, uh, you know, let me just kind of back this up a little bit. I personally believe that there is a way that we can sort of escape the confines and the limitations of cynicism in our own life by sort of recognizing the underlying polarity that's at play here. And to mm-hmm. me, that polarity is summarized simply as trust, but verify. Mm-hmm. And I've got a graphic here that kind of shows um, what happens when you have sort of a healthy integration of trust and let's say critical thinking, that's <laughs> the verification process. Mm-hmm. And what happens when those become sort of disintegrated. So let me uh, pull up this graphic real quick. That's nice. Seen it, Yeah. Beautiful. We're going to start in the upper left quadrant and then we're going to move to the upper right. And these aren't quadrants like the four quadrant, this is a polarity quadrant. So basically what it shows is the upper left and the upper right are the healthy versions of this trust but verify polarity. And then the bottom quadrants are what happens when that polarity becomes disintegrated and each of these poles kind of, you know, moves away from the other. So we'll start in the upper left and that is the polarity of trust. And this begins with an assumption of basic good faith. Again, the assumption here is not necessarily that you're telling me the truth, but that you're being truthful and that you're trying to tell me the truth within sort of your best abilities, knowing that your information might be limited, you might have some implicit bias, etc. But I have an assumption of good faith that you're trying to tell me how this world looks from wherever you're sitting, okay? Okay. There's also an awareness of basic journalistic standards, ethics, public accountability mechanisms that journalism is held to. There's an appreciation for the fourth estate political role that mainstream journalism plays in society. In other words, it keeps the other three branches of government in check, or that's what it's supposed to be doing. Uh, And it starts and follows from the basic premise that reality is knowable which if you'll notice is sort of the opposite of cynicism, right? Cynicism kind of takes us into this nothing is knowable space, right? Everything is relative, everything, and we'll get there soon. So then that's the trust poll. Then we have the verify poll. And the healthy version of that looks like critical thinking. So there's just like in the trust poll, there's an assumption of basic good faith. Here, there's an assumption of unavoidable implicit bias in any source you might be looking at. So you start with that assumption i assume you're being truthful but i also assume that you've got some blind spots and you're not aware of them and i'm going to have to sort of you know find my way through them uh which means uh you intentionally seek out sources that are high factual and low bias and you seek out alternative perspectives to help eliminate whatever bias it is that you find and there's also an awareness of the corrupting influences from things like profit motives Uh, intention age pressures. In other words, this is why everything is clickbait, right? You won't believe, you know, what Trump did today. And it doesn't actually tell you what Trump did today. You have to click through and give them ad revenue before you find out What the hell Trump did today and it's just kind of triggering our amygdala all that is coming from profit motives and and attention age pressures and social media pressures uh and then there's also an attempt to falsify data and sources that seem to confirm our own biases so even if i agree with you i'm going to try to falsify this just to make sure i'm standing on you know that we're both standing on some solid ground here so that is i think what a healthy trust but but verify polarity looks like but what happens when these polls pull apart from each other. Well, when we have too much trust and not enough critical thinking, we fall into naivety, right? Which is the result of an overemphasis on trust and an absence of critical thinking. There's an assumption that media outlets all have our best interests at heart or my network of media outlets have my best interest at heart. There's a refusal to falsify sources or listen to different viewpoints. Right. You get sort of entrenched into this view of naivety. And there's all these assumptions that, no, this is the really real reality guys. Right. Uh, We tend to apply critical thinking only to those facts and perspectives we disagree with. So instead of trying to falsify, you know, sort of the sources and the facts that are reinforcing our beliefs, we're only choosing to falsify the ones that run against our beliefs. And that creates its own bias. There's usually a total dismissal of fifth estate media, bloggers, YouTubers, et cetera. And it often lapses into a false sense of of certainty, which we can describe as sort of the sheeple mentality. So that is when you have too much trust, not enough critical thinking. So let's look at the opposite. What happens when you have too much critical thinking, too much skepticism, and not enough trust? Well, this is the polarity of cynicism. Right. So this is the result of an overemphasis on critical thinking and a total absence of trust. I've seen people even say if if mainstream news is reporting something, I assume the opposite is true. That is a cynical view, which isn't to say you shouldn't be critical and skeptical of mainstream media. But to jump to I assume the opposite is always going to be true is pure cynicism. There's an assumption that all media outlets only have malicious interests at heart. There's a total dismissal of fourth estate, mainstream media sources. They prefer the bloggers and the YouTubers and the alternate media kind of outlets. Uh, This often lapses into nihilistic uncertainty. Nothing is true or broken enfoldment. Everything is true and I can't make sense of any of it. Uh, And it usually results in civic paralysis, which is the point I was trying to make earlier. It prevents you from showing up to vote because you assume the system is rigged. And guess what? If enough of you people assume the system is rigged before too long, that system is gonna be rigged, right? And then there's a bias due to profit motives and attention age pressures that are often misconstrued or oversimplified as top-down conspiracy narratives. So it's not like, oh, all of these uh, media outlets are competing with each other in a highly capitalistic space where they have to, you know, again, Uh, conform to these attention age uh, uh, sort of pressures, give you clickbait. All of that is true, but that doesn't mean there's a room of sort of mustachioed men and, you know, somewhere back there deciding to just drop all this on our head and sort of hypnotize Americans into some false reality. So that's, I mean, that's sort of an ultimate cynical position to take. So that took a while to go through all of this, but what I like about this polarity as I was kind of drawing it out is it feels Mm -hmm. like Guardrails. It feels like sort of a few ways that we can identify where we are in this polarity at any given time, and then recognize where we need to go in order to kind of compensate for that. If I I can scan through my and I'm like, yeah, I see some naivety in my views. I see some cynicism in my views. If I'm feeling cynicism, the natural question is, what do I need to be trusting that I'm not, and why can't I trust it? And if I'm feeling too much naivety. The automatic question is, what do I need to be more critical of here? What am I not looking at? What is sitting there in my own bias that I'm refusing to falsify? And as long as we have these guardrails, I think we can, nine times out of 10, make our way to a healthy integration of that trust but verify
0: polarity. That's my spiel. Nice. Um- Thanks for sharing this. So a few things came up for me around this, like in in, in dealing with that kind of dichotomy. And um and so in kind of a compassionate way of like how does this come up and why are we seeing this maybe more than we had in the past? Um <clears throat> one is just the immense complexity of life. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, in the integral theory, this is a clear notion and uh, identification that reality and ourselves we keep getting more and more complex and it feels like we reached a tipping point of complexity where it is just really hard like it's a it's a we're in a transition to I feel like developmentally you know there's a developmental transition but also it correlates with the with the complexity that we're faced with every day and in the past I think there was a pretty implicit bias that says like well as an individual I can figure things out as long as I figure out the, the right way to approach it, I can digest information. I can find the right information. I can make a good decision all on my own. And maybe that would be true at some point in the past, but now I'd say it's impossible. So, And I have compassion even for people like, I, you know, I'm like, Trump is horrible, but I have compassion for how some people might vote for him because I've heard some things about it, about, the, about their worries, like some people who are more on the fence, you know, third party voters or something. And I was just like, if you try to figure out the economy and taxes, how many of us can barely do our taxes? Okay, let's just start with that. We just barely get the taxes done, filed, and usually we have to have accountants and we just say, okay, I guess they know what they're doing. But to understand what legislation means and how it impacts yes. us, it's so complicated. Usually, usually people only have the ability to, to just say what's immediately happened. I'm unhappy. Uh, I barely have any money. I can barely pay for my health insurance or whatever. That's all they can say. That's all they can conclude. It's just like, what's the reality? But trying to identify the the causes and conditions is incredibly hard. And for one individual, forget about it. It's, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. But yet we're all, that's how what we know. We're like, well, I got to figure it out. And then, I mean, think about what kind of wrong turns we make. It's like we get faced with the complexity, the overwhelm, the the despair that we have to figure something out. We're going to have to make things simpler. And we do that through various ways. Like, well, I'm just going to trust this news source and ignore everything else. Or I'm just going to whatever, give up and just vote for that person, or this person. So I understand that like, part mm-hmm. of it is like, we just have to grow, like, despite, no matter what we say, we're in a process of having to grow and having to trust in different ways in ways that we haven't before have to trust that. Like, there's no way I, I picked up a few books on economy and income inequality and things like that. And I'm just like, man, I can barely understand half of this yeah. stuff. I even started with that just with democracy period. I'm like, do I even understand really the constitution even as it exists now? Do I, I have to look up stuff all the time like Supreme Court or, or election. How is the election even set? I didn't even yeah. know that for a few months ago. And like, who decides when the election day is? We don't even, basic civil knowledge is really hard for most of us, I would say. I don't care yeah, if man. you're integral, green, amber, whatever. It doesn't matter. So there's compassion there that like when the, the amount of complexity is just, reached a tipping point and um and also it feels like to me the dis the the emergence of perhaps something better more inclusive more embracing that can handle the complexity better developmentally but that always requires some disillusionment of the limitations from the prior levels which is of death you know and we feel in in the in the midst of the dying to old ways of, of being and emerging into new ways but we're really we're I feel like a lot of us are hoping that we're going to turn the corner towards maybe like the emerging part versus just the disillusionment. And that correlates with the Strauss, uh, like a Strauss-Howe generational mm-hmm. theory of psych- cyclic things, but mm-hmm. also correlates to, to, to maturity development, like in something like Robert Keegan's model or correlates to yep. uh, dark nights of the soul, you know, and yep. uh, spiritual awakening. So Rob Smith has several eBooks about this. He calls it the transformation age. Yeah, and I, I really like that because I think that's very true. I think so many of the pain points we're feeling is like we are no longer equipped. The tools and ways of understanding and responding to reality are no longer sufficient, and yet we don't quite have the new tools and the new ways of understanding aren't quite clear. Now, we can talk about individually, so I get that in the integral community. There might be a lot of us who say like, well, I, I know because we can." maybe we feel like compared to the center of gravity in the United States, maybe you know we see more, and that's probably true. But we're part of this big we, so like really, yeah. the the emergence of a dominant postmodern green pluralistic uh, uh, society is emerging right now. That's taking roots. Like it's been here, but that's like now filling out the the, the streets more. N- the government, no, it's it, we're <laughs> it's starting to trickle in there really. So we're in the middle of. I mean, like integral. It's just like that's going to still be a little fringe, to be honest, from what I can see. Nonetheless. I'm just trying to have compassion, like even for myself, like as much as I, whatever I think I know, I'm just like, this is really hard. And the only thing I can think of is we really do need each other yes. to, to, to be able to, to even compare that out. Like how all the data, the million billions of points of data, give me a break. Yeah. Who's got the time. You, I don't care if you were doing full-time, just trying to do nothing but understand reality. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> even economists
1: don't understand the economy. I mean, no. politicians
0: don't understand no. politics and- I think what, what seems clear for a lot of us though, and we might articulate it differently. Again, even if we're really disagreeing, one thing I feel like is unifying is talking about how many things aren't working. So like if I ask yes. everybody who's listening to the show, do you have a list of things that you feel are totally broken right now in the world, in our in country or your country? Probably everybody's going to have a list, even if they're very, very different. That's something that's really interesting to me is that people are being, it's rare. I know there's some people in the news and I see it sometimes as if you'll see it, like maybe at a Trump rally, somebody's like, everything is awesome. But I don't even believe that. Like if you take that person out of a rally and say, tell me about your life and how things are going and and are you happy with things? Yep. Most people are just like, this sucks right now, but we have very different reasons uh why we think that right
1: well so, you know the funny thing about that ryan is if you are someone and it doesn't matter if you're a trump supporter or a biden supporter if you are someone who believes that we have certain systems that just aren't doing it anymore and need to be replaced with new systems yeah. guess what you're a progressive
0: yeah which shows you can be progressive
1: on the left you can be a progressive on the, left, uh-huh. progressive on the right the only real, the integral definition of progressive is, hey, we got systems that ain't working for us anymore. Let's make new ones. That's a progressive move one way or the other, whether you're a conservative or a liberal. I think that's important to point out because there was once a time when you could find conservatives oh, and progressives yeah, that, on the two sides
0: of the We were saying earlier that like in the ideal world, and I think we've seen that sometimes in our past, like if you go through the different cycles, you know, like in a more of a- uh, Flourishing time in the United States, we might have seen more balance there. Where it's just like, well, no, we're typologically different as conservative Republic, uh, or mm-hmm. or Democrat, but we have different ideas of how to make progress and move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but that does seem broken right now. That like, if I look at the party systems, that's not there. And so I want it to be there. So even even if I'm like Republican party is completely broken, Democrats had definitely a bad moment in that, in that uh, 2016 the dealing with their own stuff I still think they're evolving but there's a sense of it moving forward and I really do want the Republican party actually to be a conservative party but to evolve on their end to a new version of that versus yes. like uh, breaking out into chaos really or yep. or doubling down on what's been done before you know and when it's just like when most people feel like, systems are just broken and I don't care what party you're from. The people feel that in various ways. We got to, we got to do something different. Dude, we don't know what <laughs> I'm convinced here. Here's yeah. here. I'm convinced that mm. after
1: Obama won in 2008, if we remember the, GO, the GOP as a brand was driven into the ground. I mean, Bush and Cheney just mm. completely ruined the GOP brand. We never had a president that had a lower approval rating yeah, leaving right. office that's than right. George W. Bush. And that, right. and that brand, cratered. And I saw that as a tremendously positive indication. I was like, man, these guys are going to have no choice now, but to go integral. They're going to have no choice because they're dying demographically. They're (laughs) going to have to find a way to retranslate their views and their values across multiple altitudes just to survive. These evolutionary pressures are going to push the GOP towards integral. And then Trump happened.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. well, the, the two, two, two moves can happen when people are put under immense pressure. That's right. Adapt That's and right. evolve or go to the dark side. That's right.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. And I was so, I mean, I was like, man, within a generation, we're actually going to have an, and it's not going to be the, the Democratic Party because green is still too new and needs to be sort of entrenched and defended by, you know, sort right. of a group of people. Yeah. Um, the Republicans don't that they don't have stake in that. They have to find a way to actually transcend and include sort of what's coming out of the And um, I saw that as a huge opportunity. I was like, was, man, I'm going to end up a, I'm going to yeah. be a stereotype where
0: when you know I when I become is, an old
1: man, I'm going to become a Republican because they're going to be the only integral party. And right now, yeah. they took the opposite
0: track. Uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a while for that yeah. rebrand brand to happen. But I remember, yeah, thinking like at some years back where I saw. Maybe a republican on like the daily show and i'm like hey you know what some of the things he said i was like oh that's not bad but that was way before trump right and and i still wasn't like i'm not a republican at all but i'm like oh maybe one day like that mm-hmm. party will evolve and uh and there'll be some balancing effects to it but no i went the other way and i'm like i think it's gonna they're gonna unfortunately see i think this is an unfortunately not just because like it's like polarizing and all i i hate the republicans right now it's like it's unfortunate that their party is so broken and it will be broken for a while and they're going to have a really hard time climbing up because everybody's going to remember and every every new wave of uh, voters who turn 18 and everybody of us who's becoming more the dominant age of, of voters, we, we're we not forgetting the last four years for a very long time. And so I think unfortunately Republicans are going to have a hard fight. But that's disappointing because there's no valid balancing of, of, the, of the typologies and tensions that could lead to even better results. But it's not more unfortunate to me than than having them in in, in control. So I'm. And okay that's why are that.
1: pa- That's why they're packing the courts right now because they know that they know that they're um they're yeah. looking at a pretty rough road for probably the next I don't know I'm gonna say eight to ten years. Now I never, I, I never want to yeah. underestimate Americans' capacity to have the memory of a fucking fruit fly. So yeah. like I also know that like the stories are gonna change in a few years and there are a lot of people who are gonna forget. How obscene all what feels to me is being just pretty fucking obscene. We're going to forget that. It's going to get increasingly normalized, just like we did with George W. Bush, Mm -hmm. just like we did. Everyone's like, oh, look at his cute little paintings now. I forgive all those, you know, million Iraqis who died because of that blundered war. I mean, you know, there's sort of a a, a post hoc kind of normalization that happens. And this gets me back to, again, one of those first questions that we were going to introduce in the beginning of the show. This came from, Joe Perez's uh, forum, the Integralist forum, Mm -hmm. I thought it was a really great and provocative question. Uh, He asked, uh, can a person be solidly integral? So, you know, center of gravity, most of your lines are integral-ish, right? Mm -hmm. Can a person be solidly integral and a Trump supporter? And my immediate reaction was, of course, for all the reasons I described at Mm -hmm. the top of the show, this reality is too big and too complex for us to have any confidence that any of you have it completely right. And that also means integralists can be wrong, which brings me to the next step of that question. Yes, I believe you can be a Trump supporter and integral at the same time. However, if you were to ask me, do you think an integral case as a a bulletproof integral case for Trump can be made? I'm more skeptical, but that's coming from my personal. I don't think you can make a solidly integral case for Trump that doesn't fall into either a lack of proportionality or an overemphasis on saying, this is a, a, something I want to get to soon too, Ryan, but an overemphasis right. on political culture wars over the actual mechanisms of governance and what's happening in the lower right quadrant. I really want yeah. to get that point after. Yeah. Um, I don't, I haven't seen that case being made in an airtight integral fashion. So I'm more skeptical that there's a good inter- integral argument for Trump, but I absolutely think you can be fully
0: integral and a Trump supporter.
1: I just think you're wrong.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting thing. So I think that question, like one begs other questions to get more specific about And Sometimes I, I'm i not a fan of those kind of questions because they're so general and they lead, they can lead to really unprodu- uh, unproductive conversations with other okay. people. You taking it on here, I, I, I would, I trust you more to take it in a great direction. But the thing is like, we have to define what is an integral list, which is loaded mm-hmm. with, with like even if we could get at, a, at an accurate agreement about that, that first has to happen. Otherwise, the rest of the co- the question is is irrelevant. Yep. That's why I try to define it as like, yep. generally, most of your lines are at-ish this. this but even yeah. to, like, even, like, so yeah, even to define that and then even to be able to measure that and to be accurate, like, I, I would want, I would have to push it to like a really defined zone um, to be able to then say that. But if we're just going to go with generalities there, then we have to say, well, what is be a Trump supporter right now in uh, in this society with all of the, the context. Of course, yeah, there is a certain sense of like, well, everybody can make, uh, there's always a possibility to make a case and bring information to light that is unknown that would then change perspectives. Like maybe there's a bigger unfolding that can't be seen where this leads to something. You know, like maybe Trump being elected in 2016 will actually fast track more radical changes because of that, you know. The wrecking uh, ball theory. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, maybe that's true. But here's what i would say for me like in a philosophical ethical sense there's a certain luxury of contemplation and even asking the question where i'm just like i would say that's fine to ask but like as far as we don't i don't have time we don't have time to entertain that so i my quick answer is like well the house is burning and i don't have time to sit around and discuss this thing like uh no i'm going to move forward so my answer like my practical embodied answer is like no but My theoretical response is like, well, I guess so, but we don't have time to entertain that. And so I would just, yeah, there's always a radical thing of like, I'm always radically interested, like there may be something I'm completely missing and I don't know. And that I could be surprised by. I've never fully closed down, but yeah.
1: Let let me try to maybe frame it um, and try to put on their hat and see sort of what we can resonate with. Because I think that the most compelling arguments for Trump that I've seen Yep. Are I, I still kind of consider them reactionary arguments because they're often saying, "Guys, fucking look at what the left is doing right now." Right? Ken Wilber wrote an entire book twenty years ago predicting what the left would become, and guess what? They became it times ten. Mm-hmm. And I complete the boomeritis has become millennialitis has become Gen Zitis, and I fully agree. I that mm-hmm. we ha- I have shows with Ken. I mean, we've got like at least 40 hours recorded on just the overreach and the excesses of the left right now right and i completely agree that shit is a problem we're all concerned about it uh even those of us who identify as progressives we're like oh jesus like you know fucking cancel culture and uh, you know the the billion pronouns and like i get it i and and i get the exhaustion that comes with it but here's my thing and, and this is This to me has become foundational for me, Ryan. My thing is if you are making your political decisions based on the shape of the culture wars today, I don't think that's the most integral move. And the reason for that is culture wars in the lower left quadrant are always, always a reaction to what's happening in the lower right quadrant. And the minute you change that lower right quadrant container, The battle lines of the culture wars shift immediately. So 10 years ago, the culture wars were around things like death panels, right? Hmm. The Republicans, the GOP did not want something like the ACA to be enacted because they thought it'd be total governmental control and the government can now decide if grandma lives or dies. That was their argument against the ACA. Fast forward to today, we're in the midst of COVID and we have GOP governors saying, guys, we kind of might have to sacrifice the elderly for the economy here. They're right. going to be willing to go. They're going to know it's their time and for the sake of the economy. So what a complete 180 degree turn on that culture war issue, which shows to me that the culture wars like pay attention to them because it's a useful barometer of sort of, you know, we often use the, the frog in the boiling pot. I think it's useful to know sort of where the temperature is and how mm-hmm. jumpy <laughs> that mm-hmm. frog is feeling at any given time. But you yeah. have to remember that your perspective of the culture wars is always mediated through other people's, right? For example, people had for the longest time, this perception that these BLM protests were just violent in all these cities across the country and they were just tearing up these cities. And, you know, you see the GOP coming out with ads like our cities are burning and now they're coming for the suburbs and just all of this hyperbole. And then you find out, Oh, all that chaos in Portland, for example, occupied two blocks, two city blocks. Hmm. All of that chaos was contained to that. So we get the sense of how the, the culture wars are always going to be amped up right? Because Mm -hmm. they are inherently tribalistic and they're inherently trying to get you to not agree with a certain set of values, but to disagree with their values. And that's always how the culture wars are going to be shaped. Mm -hmm. But if we start paying attention to what's happening in the lower right quadrant, this gives us a completely different view because then we can see, oh wow, in the last four years, we have seen an unprecedented level in the lower right quadrant of corruption, of regulatory capture, that's mm-hmm. the big one, right? Putting these like plutocratic freaking billionaires in control of regulating their own industries is insane. It's absolutely yeah. insane. And we're seeing all of this crony capitalism, the whole thing, all that has been taking place in broad daylight in the lower right quadrant. But that, as you said earlier, that shit is wonky, it's complicated, it's hard right. to understand. And so right. the culture wars, Jesus, that's appealing right? That's appealing. I can understand that headline. I can understand that cancel culture is obnoxious. And I want to, I want to make a vote that cancels cancel culture. Yeah. Yeah. Guess what guys, you can't cancel cancel culture. Yeah. You can't do anything in the lower left. It's like moving your hand through water. The water just flows around, but you can change the containers in the lower right quadrant. And now suddenly the shape of things is dramatically different because there's more gas that fills the container. You give it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, and, and with that whole question, of like what's more important to me of the question, again, like there's this problematic, you know, the word integralist and then, and then even looking at solely dumping all of our views into candidates. The thing is, is like all the things like listing out the grievances of like specific grievances, those can carry forward as actual real grievances that need to be paid attention to regardless of the candidate regardless of the word integral or not so there's some things there's plenty of things like on the left that I'm, I'm critical of and i was much more critical of uh prior like if i when i said earlier about like we have to look at how the fire got started after the fire is put out there's some of the things like i i own as a progressive as somebody who's on that liberal side that we all we all threw in something that contributed to um to the fire dumpster fire of of trump uh there was like there was naivety on our part there was gloating cynicism, cynicism gloating about uh, during obama's presidency i was part mm-hmm. of all that thing and there's certain things that i'm worried about later but it's like priorities a problem we're not going to make it to be able to deal with those other grievances that i have around the progressive uh, progressive community and the left until this is fixed so it's like we're going to deal with that problem and it's on yep. my i got things that are and here's the thing too the some some of the problems i feel the 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 strengths and beauties along with the problematic aspects of say the progressive culture are going to be amped up times 10 if if uh, after this election if and especially if we see totally. a democratic president senate and house they are going to legislate with a fury and and that's because of trump so that's my opinion They're like like if there was no trump how intense would this rebound reaction be if this yes. happens it's gonna be more intense so it's like that's another reason why i'm like we don't need more Trump because it's only going to get nastier. If if you okay. have, if you have some issue with the left, that issue is just going to be like, rah, you know, like uh, as soon as it changes and it's going to change. I feel like that's the one way or another. Whether it's now or later, it'll change. So, anyways, I'm more. Yeah, you know, it's just like so many things are so immediate and so baseline. Uh, like if I'm really hungry and starving, or if I got I'm bleeding out, I'm like I just can't entertain a lot of other questions. And the thing is, is like my life personally. I'm, I'm doing okay. But I think of a lot of people whose lives are, are wrecked. Yep. And it's just like, eh. so that's why partly as we started the beginning of the episode, I'm much more simple about it. But, and then I hope, I very much hope to be able to have some space where we then get to dive into all these other issues that are really important and they're going to really dictate how we move forward But yeah. right now. It doesn't yeah. feel like we can move forward.
1: My my, my sort of overall... Takeaway yeah. here is that, um, you know, I, I agree with a lot of my friends who criticize the left and sort of passionately criticize the left. Yeah. I agree with them that in the lower left quadrant, our culture needs more conservative guardrails. 100%. Totally. I'm with you. Yep. yep. Totally with you. But guess what, guys? In the lower right quadrant, we need progressive policies yesterday. Because yeah, when we think really. about what's going on with these culture wars, when we yeah. think about what's going on with, let's say this uh, flare up of critical race theory, which intervalists can have any opinion about. There's some who support aspects of critical race theory. There's some who completely reject all of its tenets and say, this is the, the wrong evolutionary direction. This is a yeah. cul-de-sac right here. So yeah. regardless of what you yeah. think about it, this is you know something that's that's happening on the left yeah. but how much are those pressures reduced simply by having yeah. a more equitable wealth distribution by having more social mobility by you know you know what i mean by yeah, right. by simply like from the bottom up. I mean, that was the conservative principles that all boats rise. Well, if all boats were actually rising, so many of these problems, I'm not saying they'd go away because they're real problems, but they would, the effects, the deleterious effects and the corrosive effects of these problems would be felt that much less because we live in a society that's actually allows this kind of movement and social mobility. And guess what guys, we don't have that anymore. No. We don't have this on ramp anymore that we did 40, 50 years ago from the lower class into the middle class, for example. No. Those bridges have largely been burned in and this 40 year era of neoliberalism. And that, and that uh, brings us to this next yeah. major phase that, yeah. again, Rob Smith is calling the transformation age, yeah. where because these things seem to happen in 40 year cycles.
0: Yeah. And that goes to your point, you know, about uh, uh, the simple thing of verifying data, you know, like. That's gone. That's become really difficult. I know the data is overwhelming, but we can find good data. Like we can find some good data and we can find great data that demonstrates what you just said. And at some point we just have to, are we going to pay attention to real data or not? You know, or are we just going to f- fall to cynicism? But like, there's just data that's just really clear. It's just like, this is completely changed. It's not the same thing as it was in the fifties or whatever, you know, it's just like the mobility is, is really rough right now. And so like, we got to fix it. And if we don't fix it, you know, yeah, go ahead. I just want to
1: suggest I think we might be doing that sort of, um, that typical kind of elitist progressive thing right now, Mm -hmm. where we're saying, guys, it's just the data, just look at the data, the data speaks for itself, but you can't. We know from an integral point of view, you can't reason people out of opinions. Reason themselves into. So so much of this is just on a gut, emotional, like, oh, no, I I was having a conversation the other day, you know, the issue that I think broke this country and I don't think we're ever going to fully recover from is abortion. Mm. There's no solving this problem Mm. because there's no amount of facts. There's no, there's no amount of rationality. That's going to get, that's going to build that bridge. This is a metaphysical, unfalsifiable argument where yeah. either side thinks the other side is uh, for sure. there's no compromise there. It's a yeah. meta. You know, how do you convince someone that their metaphysics is wrong? Right. Yeah. yeah, You, yeah. you can't, you don't talk mm. people. Out. So the only solution for that is like, geez, I hope 200 years from now, the pig moves through the Python and sort of, there's more people who are
0: enacting mm. reality from an orange and above. Yeah, Uh, you know. Totally. Well, and you know, actually my comment about data would be to people who can process the data, like some of I was directing that comment to listeners. Actually, I go Mm -hmm. a different way, like in terms of their beginning, like if I say, like, hey, we're not gonna have a QAnon person on the show as an Mm -hmm. example, it's not gonna happen. But we have to still understand what's going on and try to do our best to address that. And um, which sometimes the left fails at, you know, because it's just it rightly looks at like Putting zero tolerance down and putting up barriers between harmful groups of people and harmful behavior. Um, But we still have to think about, like, well, how can we make sure that that is is reduced, you know, or doesn't become an issue in the first place? And so, when people, when it's on a gut level, like I've mentioned this before, and this is just an example, people might have different uh, opinions. But, you Mm -hmm. know, for example, the idea of a Green New Deal or something like that, adjusting climate change with lots of infrastructure and then producing lots of jobs is something like here's a good paying job that will help give you mobility that might speak to somebody who's just not going to pay attention to anything around climate data. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and I'm okay with that. I don't need them to understand and be on the same page as me as seeing data. But if I can say, Hey, all the factories are closing around your area because everything's getting automated and jobs are going out the door. And then you have a bunch of progressives in in universities saying you're a fucking idiot and, and you're a racist, whatever. And you may be too, but if we can throw jobs and say, we need these jobs and uh, here we go let's create a bunch of jobs and give yep. people work to do that they can feel proud of that they can feel dignified about then great we don't need to deal with the data so i agree 100%. like your point is like we have to adjust to who we're speaking to and um you know we'll see i'm hoping there's been i'm hoping there's been some humility amongst us progressives of like realizing but i i don't know i'm just <laughs> not <am> see it <laughs> <unfair>. <laughs> i did see some some wind being taken out of some things over the last four years of just being worn down. But I think like I said earlier, I do think there's going to be a, a, a backlash and part of it. I'm going to be really happy about like, I'm, there's just some things where I'm just like, I can't wait to see the look on Mitch McConnell's face. If, if the Senate goes Democrat and, and see them legislating and undoing a lot of harm. But I also know there's going to be some, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be nasty.
1: Well, uh, and let's, I mean, you know, again, here's sort of one of my, yeah. I'm coming to the show with a lot of little equations in my head. Yeah, one, yeah. Another one of my equations here is, um, the left is terrible at politics, terrible at politics. Cause that involves messaging that yeah. involves communicating with people. They always step on their feet, own feet. They always come up with the wrong political slogan, defund the police guys. Really? That's what you're going to go with. That's what you're going to yeah. go with is defund, not transform the police. Not, you know yeah. what I mean? Defund the police. Holy yeah. Jesus. You guys suck yeah. at politics, but guess what? They're reasonably kind of adequate at governance. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, the yeah.
1: GOP, on the other hand, is they are like political savants. These guys know how to message to their base. No, I agree they're with so that. good at it. Someone mentioned the, the Lincoln Project. Thank God right now Biden has the Lincoln pro- Project on his side because they're the only ones who know how to do this and
0: i agree I've noticed, I've noticed that absolutely i've noticed that and i can't remember some examples of some time a lot recent months where i'm like what how are you taking that message you know like or what do you um, and mainly i'm just like i'm just like it's so important we got to get trump out of the office that's all i'm caring about really is just like please just do the things that will get that done and yep. then like at the minimum and then we'll we'll, we'll regroup after yep. that but yeah i agree that sometimes it happens and it still blows my mind where like sometimes i'm like what you're taking that route after all this, it's like, oh, right. Anyways. Uh, so I know, um, I just want
1: to kind of, yeah. I, I want to uh, pinch that off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, because ultimately my, my, my reaction to my friends who, um, probably share a very similar value stack as I do. And ultimately they have the same very similar views. It's like 300 years from now. I hope this is what our society looks like. probably have a lot of agreement about that but we don't have a lot of agreement on how to get there and to these people who are super critical about what the left is doing culturally right now usually what i say you're right that the left is wrong but that doesn't
0: mean that the right is right in fact the left is the right wrong for right now no that's why i say and i and i like using that metaphor of the of the the house on fire because i'm just like you're like the things you're saying about the left is sort of like somebody took a dump in the bedroom and like, or like, and, and unhooked the plumbing. It's like, okay, yeah, that's bad. Um, but we ain't going to have a house. To we don't have about.
1: a house. Yeah, exactly. Like,
0: that's how I rank it. It's just like, I totally with you. I want to talk about this, yeah. <laughs> a, yeah. but we can't do it. Can't do and it. at
1: some point, I know we're going to get to these guys um, yeah. in just a moment, but I also want to share, I don't know if I've shared it in this program, I've shared it yeah. in others, but I actually have, again, cutting through the lower left crap and getting right to the lower right. Uh-huh. Corey has a three point plan to save democracy that he'd like oh. to share with everybody. Hey. Do you want to hear it? Sure. Give it. I, Cause I can like breeze through this <laughs> and I'm hoping that there are aspects of this, that both liberals and conservatives will appreciate. So easy three-step process. And we're going to go from the most easily achievable, but still difficult to mm-hmm. um, the, the most systemic kind of overhaul we would need. So number one, we've got a problem with the electoral college,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Right. And we hear about this a lot. Now, Mm. the challenge is you can't do anything about it. If you want to get rid of the Electoral College, you need to have a constitutional convention. Don't have a constitutional convention. Not right now with these vultures in the system. You don't want that. Mm -hmm. However, there's another path here. And it's not to get rid of the Electoral College. It's actually to restore the Electoral College. And you do that simply by repealing the 1929 Reapportionment Act. And that sounds wonky, but all the reapportionment act, reapportionment act did was set an artificial cap on the number of representatives who can be in the house. Mm. So right now there's a cap of 438 plus the hundred sen- senators That's 538, which is where Nate Silver gets his uh, URL from. Um, so there's four an artificial cap on 438 representatives in the house. And that's how electoral college votes are dispersed. Now, if we were to eliminate the reapportionment act and institute something like the Wyoming rule, which basically says the state with the smallest population that becomes the smallest unit that we use to assign representatives throughout the rest of the country. Now there's some conservative states that are going to get more representation because of this. And there's some progressive states, California, for example, that's going to get far more representation from this. And the idea is that every Uh, representative in the house no matter where in the country they are they represent the same number of people so what that means is when it's time for the electoral college to make its to make its vote that's weighed a little bit more equally with population distribution Mm -hmm. that gets rid of this major sort of tyranny of the minority problem that Mm -hmm. we have with the electoral college Mm -hmm. so that's Mm -hmm. number one and that is Mm -hmm. just an act of congress just repeal Mm -hmm. that Number two, this one is more difficult. We have a two party system problem Mm -hmm. where everything starts with either extremism or Mm -hmm. compromise, because Mm -hmm. the whole point of a two party system is you have to build the broadest possible coalitions and those coalitions don't always agree with each other, but you're forced into this party or that party. And that creates a lot of Mm -hmm. bad politics as a result. Now, here's the thing. You can't just say, well, let's just choose a third party. That doesn't work. It's not a choice that we can make in the upper left or a behavior in the upper right or a cultural thing, even the lower left. It's literally the two-party system is the inevitable result of our voting system, which is called a first past the post voting system. Whoever gets past the goal gets all the votes. Right? Mm-hmm. Great. And what that does is it creates all sorts of spoiler effects. People are afraid of, of voting for third parties because, it, you know, for example, this election that would put Trump into office. So they're afraid mm-hmm. of that. The way there's all sorts of other alternate voting uh, strategies, some of which are actually being implemented by states right now, such as ranked choice voting. This move along, and there's a few different variations of this. You might find something better than ranked choice, but right now ranked choice is what's getting a lot of traction. If we were to implement ranked choice voting in all 50 states, somehow, if that was actually possible, then we would see naturally within a generation, a more parliamentary system, right? Where it's no longer this two party, now you have like seven parties and they form temporary coalitions when they need to. And then they move against each other when they need to. And it becomes a much more fluid political reality than the one we currently have now, which is just stagnant and corrupt and, <laughs> and all that. So that's mm-hmm. number 2 ranked choice voting. Number three, this is the one I'm hoping my conservative friends like, my liberal friends probably maybe won't like it as much. But number three is we're reinstituting the draft, baby. We're getting oh, yeah. <laughs> the mandatory service. But here's the thing: this isn't like we're gonna send your 18-year-old off to some country to go kill, you know, people who don't look like them. This <laughs> is we're going to reinstitute this in a national guard slash peace corps like way. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna create a mandatory service, mandatory, where all rich kids, all poor kids, all white kids, all black kids, everyone come together. Out of their hometowns right come together in service of something bigger than themselves mm-hmm. and guess what one of the core functions that this program is going to do is a it's going to give every american basic proficiency and respect for firearms this is huge
0: mm-hmm. all of
1: a sudden gun violence starts to go down in our mm-hmm. country because we are taking we're reclaiming the gun from our collective shadow and mm. owning our martial heritage. This country was founded at the end of a gun, right? Mm. There's, it's, it's sort of in our DNA. We mm. need to reown that so that this isn't such a shadow for us. So mm. that's sort of, you know, the opportunity here is that it's going to create the sort of healthy nationalism that a lot of our conservative friends are looking for. Right. And I agree with I was against the whole idea of nationalism until I really started listening, again, to my more conservative integral friends, I can see how that value stack has been really undernourished underserved over the last 50 years. Mm -hmm. So this actually sort of replenishes our, our sense of nationalism, while also creating more progressives in the long run, because you're exposing people different kinds of people and different ideas and different perspectives Mm. and we Mm. know that that alone is going to be the main accelerant for Mm. someone's growing up process that's Mm. what's going to take someone out of amber and sort of push them off the orange cliff and Mm. see if they fly you know what i mean so this Mm. is actually going to solidify our conservative kind of foundations while also allowing more people to grow into more progressive waves of being while getting rid of the gun issue, right? I'm sick of liberals being sort of kind of whiny about this. There's other Mm -hmm. ways than just like, we're gonna take all your guns. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, so all together, one, two, three, this is my three-step plan to fix democracy. And notice none of it really has much to do with the lower left quadrant at all. It's addressing some of the symptoms that are showing up in the lower left. This is all achievable stuff to do in the lower right That's going to change the container and give us all a better culture. It's going to give us better choices. It's going to give us a healthier mindset Mm. and it's going to encourage us. It's going to recreate this conveyor belt naturally so that we can grow through these waves of development on our own in our own time supported by everyone else. Mm. So that's
0: nice. Yeah. I like it. I, um, uh, I saw something with, on John Oliver's episode about how there's an agreement amongst, I don't know if it was like 11 or 13 or 17 states, something like that, where the governor or the governors or I don't know if it's mm-hmm. the governor's electoral board uh, have, a, have a commitment to that if enough states agreed to it, that they would agree, go with the popular vote. And so mm-hmm. you don't need all states to do it. You just need enough states to agree to that, that they will put their electoral votes to the most popular vote. So there is that option too, that that that's another,
1: That's another path. I think that one... Is probably going to be easier to challenge in the courts.
0: Yeah, I don't. And just
1: repealing the, the no, not totally.
0: Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I wonder what the repercussions would be. Yeah,
1: especially with the shape of our Supreme Court, the shape it's yep. going to be in just a couple of weeks from now.
0: Yep. Right. Right. Well, um, I want to see if we respond to a couple of comments. One totally. person asked um, uh, if we when we were talking about earlier Democrats when House and Senate or, and President and what would be the trigger there? I was meaning that I don't think actually it's going to trigger a bigger Trump reaction. I actually think the arrow of time is pointing against as a support of Trump. Like, and we looked, I forget how many, was like four out of the last, whatever, five, how many presidents have been, have not won the popular vote, but won the electoral college. Like that's become more of a, more of a thing in recent decades. So to me, it's like you look and see the popular vote is more and more indicating something different the the need of gerrymandering and mm-hmm. voter suppression indicates more and more that the weight of american society is going in a different direction i think that's the only reason why they do it, is because why things like gerrymandering and suppression happen uh, is because it's the only way to 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 Cling on to some votes there. So I think actually, I just think, I think it's inevitable. And I think Republicans have unfortunately dug themselves a massive hole by fighting against reality, rather than as Corey pointed earlier, take a chance to evolve and transform the party. They went the other direction, which is really going to exacerbate. I mean, it's caused harm to the society, but it's going to cause harm to their party. That's going to be really hard to get out of It's. I think it's just going to actually like all the things that they've been f- afraid of mm-hmm. is going to come to pass but like even more intensely, that was what I was saying earlier. I think many things that they don't want are going to happen, but even more so, and they just have delayed the inevitable and they've threw gasoline on it because they didn't play fair. And so I think there's going to be a lot of, especially the if you look at the younger Democrats in the House, and as mm-hmm. those Democrats in the House make their way to the Senate, like an AOC, just wait until the Senate has a- some AOC people floating around in the Senate. Right now, they don't got anything like that. And, you, and all those folks are definitely gonna remember. So I think all the things they're scared of, if they had just been more reasonable, there might, have, there might be less of a backlash, but now mm-hmm. Democrats Democrats seem to be just like.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, dude, this is, this, is, uh, this is a really important point. The other thing I also wanna point out is that when it comes to what types of safeguards exist within each party um, that prevent the more extreme views from the party from sort of um, winning the day, the Democratic Party actually has some of those safeguards. Yeah. Now, for example, right now, we're talking about a Biden presidency, not a, let's say, Bernie Sanders presidency. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there are rocks <laughs> in the Democratic electorate that those kind of cultural waves crash out on and prevent them from gaining too much traction. In this case, it was mostly Southern Black Democrats wouldn't allow the progressive wave to get too far ahead of itself, much to the chagrin of a lot of my progressive friends who are like, Jesus, I can't believe we're talking about a Biden presidency and not a Bernie presidency. Yeah. I get it. But there is there are mechanisms within the Democratic Party that now some people call that corruption. Some people think it's like all that Donna Brazil and they're getting... You know, I think so much of that has been overblown. Ultimately, it comes to is that the Democrats enjoy a very diverse electorate. And again, that electorate doesn't always see eye to eye with each other. The GOP, on the other hand, I don't think have as many barriers to that prevent sort of this extremism from rising to the top and winning. And I think that that is exactly what we've seen that is so concernful to so many of us. is is exactly that like holy crap these guys did not waste it i mean you've got lindsey graham four years ago saying this is insane to me looking into a camera and saying if four years from now i'm nominating a supreme court justice for trump then call me a hypocrite and now just like this has no meaning no meaning so there's no shame there's no Democrat liberals are always trying to like catch them in hypocrisy. Guess what guys, you're the only one who cares about the hypocrisy. They don't give a fuck. This they is a power care. play. You no, double down on I mean. power when you have power period or else you lose it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what they're doing for sure. And and like I said, I think, um, I mean, one that's infuriating to, to be on the receiving end of, of, of like somebody who's uh, you know, taken power in a really dark way and done dark things with it, you know, which we've seen some happen to Republicans, not just like exercising power. It's uh, I think that's one of the things that people are so disillusioned with, even on the left sometimes is that like, we've gotten so far away from representing the American people in government. Like that's mm-hmm. why I think we want to see more coherency with that. So like, even on the left, it's sort of like, listen, if, uh, if, the, if the Democratic voters vote for a certain person for the primaries, then okay, well, that was a representation. If it's something that the Democratic Party is doing to manipulate, then we don't like that because it's like, you're not letting us vote, you're doing what you wanna do. Mm-hmm. And I think across the board, American, uh, Americans are tired of that kind of stuff. And uh, that's part of the reason why so many Republicans voted for Donald Trump, because they were like, well, he's a big fuck you to the Republican Party in a certain way, and, but they just went on and got on board with it, and partly because they were so scared of a, of a left uh, presidency. Anyways, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens after the election and, and right. see I what think the repercussions it, are. I
1: yeah. think it I think it's going to come down to um, what happens on election night. Honestly, I yeah, really that's do... why we're waiting. We're we're just in in limbo of waiting. If, really, it's hard to. If, spe- if it's if all speculation. election night is decisive, yes, we're not going to have as much of a problem. Yeah, we're not. If 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 well, let me let me hone that in. If Biden wins decisively on yep. election night, we're probably going to see little pockets. violence little flare-ups but i think it's going to go away and we're actually going to see something that we saw after bush which is a whole lot of embarrassed republicans who might not casually admit that they supported trump for so long that's exactly what we saw with george w bush there was this kind of you know um that's possible however if it's close if if it's not even close but like if what this is kind of gearing up to look like it's going to be is that because there are so many mail-in ballots right now, right? So many mail-in ballots, millions of people have already voted. That's what's crazy. We're talking about inhabiting your democracy. Millions of us already have, right? If it looks like the Trump supporters are the ones who are showing up to vote in person on election day, but the mail-in ballots are mostly Democrats and that takes days to weeks to count that is going to create a massive
0: cultural and national wound for us uh, it almost seems in that part well we'll see i guess yeah, we will see it seems like that's maybe inevitable just to count everything just because it's going to take a while and i think i already saw some uh i forget who it was somebody in like a department that deals with election stuff it's just like that should be expected that it's going to take a lot longer to count everything but it could be more decisive like if it is more of like a landslide territory which i saw them 538 they've been hovering around 30 something 35 percent chance mm-hmm. of, of that uh and it's been pretty steady so that would be the ideal is like a landslide where it's decisive and we don't have to wait at all but yeah there may be a little bit of a rough ride in between that in in january assuming by winds and all that goes well which right now feels like it but um yeah it is limbo and i think like you know Uh, Maybe we have one more question here before we wrap up because I saw somebody else put a question here. Yeah, Claudia had a great question. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I'll read it out loud. What is the role of the integral community to help evolve the fighting between culture wars to one that includes a conversion of values and polarities that transcends and includes? Can the integral community propose policy that incorporates appeal to values and polarities across stages and quadrants? Well, I just want to say that's what my three-point plan is trying to do, particularly that last leg of um, reinstating the draft, I think that is actually positioned exactly to, to help integrate these polarities. Because I see woke culture and MAGA culture. If you remember that polarity chart I showed earlier, the bottom quadrants are the unintegrated polarities. That's woke culture and MAGA culture right there. They are the inevitable consequences of a disintegrated polarity between the left and the right. So I think that both of those are sort of um, sicknesses, and I want to point to—I've got another screen to share, Ryan. I want to point people to a conversation I had uh, with Ken um, that I think speaks right to Claudia's question here. So we did this dialogue called "On the Front Line of the Culture War." Give me real examples, not just theories. That was, <laughs> Ken's, that was Ken's title suggestion. He gets. Uh, <laughs> nice. He likes exclamation thing. points um, yeah. and m dashes. If you notice, know, there's a nice big m dash yeah, title, and that M-dash. dude loves. Him, some M-dashes, I do too. yeah. So in this talk, Ken and I go through just a slew of really controversial, okay. you know, culture war issues. Uh, we go from abortion, universal health care, the death penalty, and assisted suicide, vaccines, mm. drone warfare, reinstating the draft. This was the conversation where Ken and I both surprised ourselves with this idea and said, oh my God, this actually feels, there's no magic bullets here, but this kind of feels like a magic bullet here, mm. right? And we were both like, oh my God, this really does cut through a lot of these issues. Um, so yeah. that's where sort of the these ideas originated was in this conversation. Mandatory voting, uh, hate speech, cultural appropriation, and then uh, prostitution, drugs, and sex robots because you can't have a good political conversation without (laughs) sex robots, people. Um, So this was a great conversation. And we try to do exactly that. We try to actually say, here are some ways forward on some of these issues. And the one that we had the hardest time with, Ryan, Uh. is abortion. Mm -hmm. As I said earlier, because of that meta, Ken's Ken's best solution for abortion was basically, we kind of have to maintain the status quo that we already have today. That's the most integral possible
0: solution at this it kind of makes point sense.
1: In this in this culture. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a great resource. Yeah. That seems like a where to go for that that question. Cool. Um, great. Well, I think I'm about right at the end of my my uh, energy for this session. But uh, I think for me, I would conclude again, going back simply, you know, we talked a lot about a lot of specific things shared a lot of opinions passionately, but again, it always comes back. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm just hoping we all pay attention. We really drop into our embodied lived experience, see what's going on, get out and vote, support the equal right to vote and do it. Just do it, yeah. you know, no. and, 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 that's all we can do. And then I hope that the situation changes quite a lot where we can have even more nuanced conversations that are about moving things forward, even when we have differing opinions and differing thoughts. And I think actually we need each other for that. I think we need all of our, all of our presence and all of our minds and hearts together uh, to be able to handle that complexity uh, mm-hmm. that we're facing. So, you know, I'm hoping that if anything, this just spurred a little bit of passion and motivation, even if you disagree with some of the things we've said.
1: (laughs) No, that's, that's, that's beautifully said, Ryan. And, you know, my last, um, sort of, uh, advocation (laughs) for our audience is just simply to remember, um, you know, if you're dealing with some kind of cynicism, if you're dealing with, with, you know, like, I'm just so lukewarm about whichever of these candidates, right. Just to remember that the personality of the can, this is hard to say in the Trump era. This is hard to say, but it's still true. The personality of the candidate is just like the tiniest little piece of the iceberg that's sitting above the surface. You're not just voting for the personality. You're voting for an entire platform. You're voting for an entire cabinet. You're voting for Supreme Court justices. You're voting for this entire network. You're voting to say, no, I don't want the EPA to be run by fossil fuel executives. That's kind of what you're saying. Now you're gonna still get some of that in the democratic party because the Mm -hmm. same plutocratic interests are trying to corrupt both sides. Mm -hmm. The only difference that I see from where I'm sitting is that the democratic party, yeah, they have their share of lobbyists but they still have some genuine public servants as well. Some civil servants that are in there for the people and not for the power. And on the right, the way I see it from my seat is that that party has been almost completely co-opted by lobbyists. This is the transnational state trying to eliminate the regulations on the level of a nation state so that the transnational corporations can run amok and have no accountability. And I see the GOP, today's constellation of the GOP, so I'm not talking about conservatives as a people, I'm talking about the GOP as a social holon, Mm -hmm. is a social holon that has the singular purpose of lobbying for transnational plutocracy. And I think Mm -hmm. that's dangerous. And I think that is exactly the page that we need to turn. And I'm not saying Biden is going to fully rip that page out of the book and give us a new book. But like, yeah, his cabinet, his Supreme Court justices, and everyone who hopefully gets nominated down ticket, It's their responsibility to fix this shit in the lower right quadrant so we don't have to deal with so much division, polarity, suffering, pain, et cetera, in the lower left and in the
0: upper left. Yep. Amen. Yeah, man.
1: Dude, this (laughs) was
0: rich. Well, I hope hope, uh, we all get out there and vote. I already did mine. Mine's dropped off. Hand delivered. And, Angie and
1: I are going, we just got our ballots a couple days ago. We're going through and we're, this is the last piece of advice. Um, don't mail it in. If you don't have to, don't, don't mail know. it in, if, drop if it could... off at a ballot box. If you're in California, make sure it's not one of those fake ballot boxes. The GOP is putting up everywhere.
0: Yeah.
1: Put it in a real official research, this shit, drop it off. And a lot of States give you the ability to check afterwards to see if your ballot was received hmm. and if it was, if it was actually um, recorded. So do that. Yep. If you have that option in your state, do that.
0: Yep. Wonderful. Dude. I love you, man. Love you too, man. Good to see you. Glad we can uh, have this conversation. Gives me a, some uh, hope and consolation in the midst of. Dude, it's, times. it's weird, right? Because I'm looking at you
1: and I'm like, we're going to do another show in a month. And that show is going to take place in one uh, of two completely branching alternate
0: universes. Yep, it's it, we we will see you on the other side, everybody. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Well,
1: in the meantime, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe, I hope everybody. This was yeah, and uh, fucking go vote. Do it. All right, Ryan. I'll talk to you
0: soon, buddy. Yeah, man. Take care. All right, bye.